The B2B sales world is in turmoil. Quota attainment is down. Revenue growth is slowed. Turnover is up. All of this is in the face of ever-increasing pressure to perform. Is it a surprise that the average sales leader stays in place for only 12 to 18 months? That's barely enough time to start executing the strategy. These problems are fixable, and we are going to serve the sales leadership community with this show. I'm Lucas Price. I've launched and exited B2B startups and built elite sales organizations. Now I want to give back by bringing you this podcast, Building Elite Sales Teams. It will be full of actionable best practices to help you excel as a sales leader. We're going to burn the churn. Let's get back to winning. Building Elite Sales Teams is on. Thanks for joining us today on Building Elite Sales Teams. This is your friendly neighborhood talent strategy nerd, Dr. Jim. And if you haven't noticed already, this is not the usual voice that you're used to. Congratulations. You're the new leader for an up and coming B2B tech organization. You've got a lot of things that are on your radar. So where do you start? There are a ton of priorities that you have to balance. So it's critical that you nail what's most important. So what should you be focused on? That's the question that we're going to answer today in our Founders Feature edition of Building Elite Sales Teams. And who better to answer that question than Lucas Price, founder of Yardstick? The tables have turned on you, Lucas, and you're on the firing line. You're used to being on this side of the bike, asking guests all sorts of questions. So now you have your stunt double host on the show, and we're going to hear a little bit more of the story. So welcome to the show. Welcome to your show. Let's have it. I'm ready for it. Thank you for having me. It's your show, so it's not, it's not like you're unfamiliar to this. The big thing that I'm interested in, in sharing with the listeners is getting them to understand a little bit more about your story. You're obviously the founder of Yardstick, but this isn't a Yardstick story. This is actually going to be about some of the things that you experienced in the growth journey of ZipWhip. So for those listeners who aren't familiar with that story, we want to get them up to speed and also get them to know and understand you a little bit better. The first order of business is share with us a little bit about that Zip Whip story and how that led you to what's now the Yardstick story. So ZipWhip is a company that it was that handled business text messages. So we would take business phone numbers, non-mobile phone numbers, and turn them on to the mobile text messaging system, and then give them software to manage their customer conversations. And I joined ZipWhip when it was on the, the B2B side, was less than a million dollars in ARR. There, was a, there had been a consumer product that was a couple million dollars, but when I joined, they were winding that down. And, and so the B2B side was less than a million dollars in ARR. I built the team that took ZipWhip to over $100 million on the sales side. It was a journey of about five, five and a half years. I had incredible learning experiences because I went through so much change there and so much fast growth. It's, if you're really keyed into to that type of experience, it's you get so much growth very quickly. One of the things that I'm particularly interested in is you joined ZipWhip as the leader of the sales organization. But I want you to wind the clock back a little bit and tell us a little bit about the experiences that you had prior to that that got you prepared to succeed in your role at ZipWeb. I started my career as a sales operations person, and I was not in that role for a very long time before I moved from that. It, it wasn't called sales operations, but that's effectively what it was at a small company into a sales role. And so seeing that sales operations role and, and then moving into a sales role, 
I think gave me an understanding of what success looked like in sales because I was working with salespeople every day. When I moved into a sales role, I struggled to get consistently productive in sales. It wasn't something that was easy for me. But one of the things I did notice that I was good at very early on was working with other salespeople and helping them strategize on what their deals were. So I'd never put myself as one of the top salespeople, but I think I've always been really good at helping salespeople. And so later transitioning into becoming a founder and then a, a, a VP of sales and now a founder again, I think that ability to help salespeople succeed has helped me in all of those roles. Your point about building excellence through struggle is a really good point, especially when it comes to coaching and development, which is an aspect of what you're describing. You joined ZipWhip when it was, I think you mentioned a million dollar ARR company. Why in the world would you take on that opportunity? What was it about that opportunity that said to you in your mind, hey, this is a pretty cool thing. I should take this on. I think there's always a bit of naivete involved in any sort of decision like that. But the thing from, I met the people, I liked the people involved who were running the company. It was about 15 people, more or less at that point in time. And I, and I just felt like I had a vision for, hey, they need someone to help with sales and help with kind of the go-to-market model. And I have a vision for how to do that. And so it was, I think the biggest thing for me was just me being able to envision helping them succeed. And that, that made me decide, Hey, I can do this. I can, I can accomplish something big. I thought the company had really big potential. Turned out I was right. The company sold to Twilio a little over two years ago for 850 million. I think that Part of being right about that was lucky. A big part of being right about that was lucky. And so when I look back at the journey, I think there, there was a lot of luck involved. But for me, it was just the conviction at that point in time that this company can succeed and I can play a port, an important role in their success. So that self-belief, I think, is really important to call out. Because, and, and I think when we're talking about sales leaders and sales professionals in general, we might all be guilty of having too much of that self-belief. But the vision part that you mentioned, I think, is also really important. One of the things that would be helpful is you had a vision for where this could go. How did you get your leadership, the organizational leadership, the founders, to buy into that vision? Because oftentimes sales leaders can come into an organization with a specific vision and things that they want to accomplish. And then they end up getting stuck in a quagmire where the founder's vision or the executive vision is aligned with you. For me, it was sharing stories from when I'd been a founder before about the challenges that we faced and how we overcame those challenges that I anticipated ZipWhip was going to, to have very similar challenges and that in some cases they already had those challenges. And so it was sharing those stories about the challenges we fa I'd faced as a founder and how we had overcome them. I, I think that was the biggest thing that probably brought the existing leadership team from ZipWhip into believing that I had the ability to help them succeed in that role there. It was helpful in that instance, if I'm hearing you correctly, that you, you had some foundational experience as a founder previously that helped you communicate that vision and sharing those stories. Let's say there's a sales leader out there that doesn't have that previous founder experience. What advice would you have to give them that will help them align their vision for growth with the founder's vision for growth or, or the executive team's vision for growth? Yeah, I think it's, there's a couple things. Like one of the things is 
and I think a lot of people realize this, but it's always good to have the reminder, is that people connect to stories. And so when you're trying to build that alignment around stories that the founders are going to be able to relate to. And the other thing is ask the founders what's important to them. Try to understand their point of view. And I, I remember once I was in the seat in my very some of my very first days at ZipWhip, we were in a situation where it was like, okay, we're waiting for a few things to happen. So Lucas, in a few months, you're going to go out and start hiring salespeople. There's this small team that you're managing right now. And in a few months, you're going to be hiring a bigger team. And I went to my CEO, John Lauer, and I asked him, John, what should I focus on in addition to managing this small team? Like, what's important to you? And he told me, and, and he gave me an answer that really surprised me. His answer was like, Lucas, get to the truth. I want to know the truth about what's going on with our sales right now. And there's a sense that, of course, John knew the truth, but he he didn't have uh, perfect clarity or perfect or, or high fidelity in the truth. He's looking at product and marketing and sales and business development and all of these things that he's that he has to keep on top of. And his fidelity into what was happening with the existing sales team was not as high as my mind could be. If I go and really make sure that we're collecting the data the right way. We're reporting on the data the right way. We have the right systems in place to get the data. And so he, his first piece of advice for me was like, go find the truth, Lucas. And that was like, I, when he said it to me, I was really surprised by it, but it ended up be, like being very powerful and very accurate advice. And I think it's the first thing that any sales leader should do when they come into a new organization is really spend time on getting like understanding why are customers buying, what customers are renewing, what customers are upgrading and spending more, what customers are churning out, how long does it take to sell? Are there certain segments that are buying for higher dollar values or for or the sales are going faster? Which salespeople are most successful? What are they doing different than the less successful salespeople? Like get like getting a, a full understanding of all of these questions was like incredibly helpful for me in terms of being able to figure out this is what we should do next and this is what we should align around. So that that get to the truth comment, it, it's a really impactful comment. And then what's interesting about what you just said is that you asked about, I think, eight to 10 different questions that are all different doors. So if we think about the truth as a house, you have 16 different doors to get into the house and when you look at your job as a sales leader, and we can tie your experience into this or, or just a general experience, how do you figure out of all of those questions, which one you tackle first? It depends on what the biggest problem is. I remember a conversation with a friend at one point in time where he had gone into a sales leadership job and he said that, look, my team is signing up customers, but we're losing the customers. And so I could hit my goal, but the company wouldn't succeed. And we had a conversation and, and, and the conversation resolved, revolved around which customers aren't churning and which customers are spending more money. Why are they not churning? Why are they not spending more? And how do you find more customers like that? And if the biggest problem the company has is that the customers that are being signed up are churning, then I think you want to really look for, for which customers are not churning. If you're trying to drive up the 
average contract value, you might look at like, how are the customers that are paying the most with us different than the ones that are paying less? And so I think that it depends on what problems you're trying to solve, like where you think you can have the first impact. But that having been said, I do think that there's a bunch of these doors that you have to look at and like gathering this type of information Even starting from zero, it's not going to take you a year. It's something that you can, with the right team, the right people, the right tools, you can start to look in a lot of these doors like pretty quickly and start to use that information to go back to the rest of the the team and align around the the rest of the leadership team and align around a plan of, hey, as a product organization and a marketing organization and a sales organization, These are the customers that are most important to us. And these are customers that historically we've signed up, but actually should not be as important to us. And so we should change our strategy in these ways. And so I I think that a sales leader can gather that type of information pretty quickly and shouldn't just be looking in one of the doors. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. There's another aspect of your answer that I'm curious about, and that's this. You, during your time at ZipWhip, you joined at a million dollar organization with 15 people, and then you eventually scaled it both on a revenue side and hiring side, and it eventually led to, a, to an exit. So when you look at that arc, how did the things that you learned that were components of the truth influence how you hired and who you hired? Is there a connection there that, that you can share with us? At ZipWhip, we ended up with a few different kind of channels within the sales organization. We had a large inside team that sold the software that managed the conversations to small businesses that were affiliated with partners that we developed. So we developed a lot of franchise or partners, and then we would go in and sell to the franchisees in a very like transactional model. We had other segments that were more mid-market where we were selling larger deals, but still in an inside motion. We had an enterprise team that was spending more time in the field. And we had a team that sold a different kind of product. It sold our connectivity to the carriers and our API, and it was a different buyer. And we sold it through a different team because it was a very different ICP, different buyer, different conversation. And so each of those teams, what we were looking for in a seller was a little bit different. And all and those channels developed over time. And so the way we hired into those developed over time as well. And there's not just one answer to that, but we definitely, it it is very specific to your business. And we looked very carefully at the specifics for trying to decide what we were looking for in sellers. As one example, the team that was selling transactional to franchisees, a lot of those people that we were hiring were either people who were going through a career change or were, were near the beginning of their careers. We didn't necessarily need them to be experienced sellers. We we thought that this was like a great opportunity for people to get into sales. And, and so sometimes they were coming from retail. Sometimes they were coming from, they were fresh college grads. Sometimes they were like, we had a great, great seller who was, had previously been a teacher and wanted to do a career transition. A lot of times what we were competing for, who we were competing with in that situation was larger companies who would hire these same people into SDR roles. But we would say here at, at ZipWhip, you're going to be in a, in a role where you can close business, you can make full commissions on your sales. And so that was part of our pitch to them was come into a, this full cycle role that included closing instead of just being in, a, in an SDR prospecting only role. 
it's really interesting that you're describing some of the profiles that you hired for. And you were a startup, you offered a competitive advantage compared to some of the other organizations that are offering these entry-level roles. You made it a point to offer a broader scope role that would be appealing to these folks that wanted to get out of the industries that they were working. But the other thing that I'm curious about is how did you leverage the pace of your organization as a competitive advantage to bring these people over? That was definitely one of our selling points. We had we had a big sales floor that had a lot of energy on it that we we played music, which some people didn't like, but other people liked. And I'll have to say, I'm not the best at this, but some of the people who worked very closely with me were like very positive, very high energy people that kept, that made it an environment that, that people would want to work in. I wanted to come to work each day because of the energy that I would get from the sales floor. And I wouldn't say that I'm the best person at creating that energy, but I also recognized that I needed to put individuals around me who were good at creating that energy. And so that certainly appealed to candidates. Really great stuff, Lucas. And I think we covered a lot of ground, but when I look at the arc of the story of Zipwit, you joined at a million, you eventually led it to an exit. There's a lot of stuff that happened in between. What caught you by surprise that you didn't expect that you feel is important for other sales leaders to pay attention to, especially when they're in this growth trajectory and hiring trajectory where they're in rapid growth? Yeah. I think some of the things that caught me by surprise were the inspirations for me to start Yardstick. I think like one of the things that I think I was slower to realize than I should have was that the most important thing for my career trajectory and the career trajectory of everyone else in the sales organization, and to a lesser extent, everyone else in the company, was the people that I hired. And so the importance of having a great process for hiring was something that caught me a little bit by surprise and took me longer to come to than it should have. Those hired a great crew. We also made a lot of mistake, a lot of hiring mistakes along the way. And, and the success of Yardstick had a tremendous impact on my career trajectory and my career opportunities. And that's true for lots of other people at ZipWhip. And if we had been more successful, it would have had a bigger impact on us. And if we'd had less, been less successful, it would have had a lesser impact on us. So I think the importance of that is something that really caught me by surprise. And at the same time, like the when you're part of the reason it catches you by surprise or caught me by surprise is that when you're in the role of the VP of sales or the head of sales or the chief revenue officer, there's all these other things that feel like higher priorities. You, you have the end of quarter and you have board meetings and you have quarterly all hands and you have your weekly one-on-ones, et cetera, et cetera. You have all these things that are really important priorities. And so this is one of the things that it's obvious that it's important, but it can tend to get procrastinated on much longer than it should. It's interesting that you mentioned that. And I'm wondering if we can make a broad lesson out of that. It sounds to me that one of the things that you realized was that a more detailed focus on the hiring process would could have potentially gotten you further ahead faster. And I might be paraphrasing it. The thing that I'm wondering if there's a relationship with is this. As a sales leader, would you agree or disagree that you need to take inventory of all the things that you're responsible for and maybe pick the ones that you're putting off and procrastinating on and reprioritize that as high on the list because that's probably an indicator of a problem that you're not willing to confront. What do you think of that theory that I'm cobbling together? 
I think so. It reminds me of the seven habits of highly effective people. One of the habits, it might be the second one, is put first things first. And and my recollection from many years ago of reading that book was that there's a two by two grid of the urgency of a task and the importance of a task. And a lot of times we work on the urgent tasks, the most urgent tasks instead of the most important tasks. I think we should always be looking at what's most important but we have it done because it's not most urgent. And how do we make that urgent? How do we prioritize it and get it done? Because that the things that are going to have the biggest long-term impact should be prioritized over the things that people are just trying to push on you to get done today or tomorrow or this week. Fan of the word that you used, impact. And I think that's a good lesson to, to highlight. Focus on impact versus urgency. And sometimes those two, two things cross over But really, you should prioritize as a leader the things that are going to have the most impact on the short-term, mid-term, long-term desired outcomes for the business. So that's really great stuff. We covered a lot of ground, Lucas, in this conversation. What I'd like you to do is highlight for the listeners maybe the top two or three things that they should have in mind when they're trying to go on this scaling journey, when they're that new sales leader. What are the things that you feel is important? based on your experience at ZipWhip that sales leaders need to be focused on? I get asked about this quite a bit because I think it's relatively unique to go as the sales leader from less than a million and building the team that goes to over a hundred million. And I think that my, the reason that I was able to do that and succeed in it is that I was, I tried to look very closely at what I was not doing well all the time and tried to be really self-aware. And that doesn't mean that I made, I hit, I saw everything, that I didn't have any blind spots. I definitely had blind spots. And now I see a lot of things that I would do differently. But I think that like really trying to pay attention to how do I need to change to be the leader of this company that's changing really fast. And for me, I was there for after 18 months, the job was totally different the next 18 months. And then it was totally different again after that. And at each of those stages, I really had to say like, how do I change as a leader to keep up with the way my job has changed? And and so self-awareness, being willing to to change, putting people, being willing to put people around you who are good at the things that you're not good at. Those were all things that helped me succeed, I believe. Great stuff, Lucas. Really great conversation. Obviously, for those of you who are listening and want to find out more, you can certainly reach out to Lucas directly at lucas at yardstick.team, or you can go to Yardstick's website. That's yardstick.team as well. When I think about this conversation, there's three things that stand out to me that I think is important to highlight. One is your point about finding the truth. So if you're a new sales leader in an organization, it's highly, it's critical that you find the truth. And the house of truth has a lot of doors to it. So you need to ask a lot of questions and pursue the answers to those questions simultaneously. And that's how you get to the truth. Once you've actually identified the truth, it's critical for you to actually align and prioritize with the leadership. So your vision and the leadership vision is in sync. If you're misaligned, you're going to have a lot of trouble getting traction, especially if you're trying to scale and grow an organization. So that's the second thing that stands out. And the third thing that I think is important to highlight in this conversation, at least for me, is that as a startup and as an organization that is looking to hire and grow, you have to be really disciplined about finding the competitive advantage that your opportunity has over the other opportunities that exist within your landscape. 
and play to that. So if all of your competitors or if other similar positions are offering entry-level opportunities, offer a broader span of control for those people that you're looking to hire and align that with what's important to those people as you bring them in and then get after it. So really great stuff, Lucas. Thanks again for uh, indulging me and doing a little bit of role reversal. For those listeners who have checked out the episode, leave us a review and then tune in next time where we'll have another great leader on the show to talk about how they've built elite sales teams. Thanks for joining us today on Building Elite Sales Teams. Please remember to give us a five-star review. And if you want more information about Yardstick, you can find us at www.yardstick.team. You can follow me or connect with me on LinkedIn by searching for Lucas Price.